This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the MVSP. It is myself, Joe Nagy, along with my co-host, Brandon Worth. Brandon, it's a cold day out. I think it was like 10 degrees when I woke up and I was starting my car this morning. But it's nice and warm in the studio, and let's get started. Yeah, we've got lots of things to cover. Ferris State sports, basketball, and hockey in action over the weekend. We can catch you up on. And there's some pretty interesting NFL games that happen when we analyze those. But first, we have an exclusive interview with Ferris State men's basketball player Ben Davidson that we think you guys would love to hear. So without further ado, here's the interview. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the interview section of the show. Today we have a very special guest joining us, Ben Davidson, Ferris State basketball guard. Welcome to the show, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor. Yeah, it's great to have a basketball face in here. Obviously, we talked to Isaac earlier in the year, and he was really excited about your guys' season, and so are we. Um, starting off, um, you guys, so far, not a, not a terrible start. I mean, I think you guys would have liked to have four wins on the season in conference play rather than two, but how, how has it been feeling so far with this COVID season, a new team, new, new regulations, new practice? How's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like, our first two games versus Aspen were supposed to be home, and then for COVID reasons, they got switched to away because – if Ashton were to come here, they would have to wear masks, and then we like mutually agreed to go there. So already from the start, we were supposed to have a home game, and we played at Ashland, and it, that's a tough place to play. They kind of have like a unique setting to their gym, and we we were happy to get the split there. And then we were supposed to go play at Parkside, and we did, and we got blown out the first game, and we made some changes to the starting lineup, and, and then, um, yeah, we got them pretty good the second game, and that was nice. So... Any road game in the GLIAC, every every team in the GLIAC is good. So you know we we obviously like to be you know better than two and two, but we'll take it. And especially with this year, kind of last year you were really used to playing kind of throughout the week, kind of a little bit sectioned out. But now you play at the end of the week, Friday, Saturday. Um, what's that kind of difference like now that you? I mean, you can't really have that game like experience consistently. It's more just kind of a spurt throughout the week. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Of, you know, you you have one more practice throughout the week. You know, which is which is different and like you got to have a short memory especially if you, you have a bad game on Friday you're playing the next day you know mm-hmm. you can't dwell on it you know you're and you're playing the same exact team so we played Ashland week one we might not play him again for the rest of the season unless we meet in the GLIAC tournament so you know it, it's just a whole different feel and you know we're just, we're just adjusting to it and there's you know there's some benefits to it you know we we tend to play more players than um other teams in the GLIAC to do so that kind of benefits us because we have more bodies yeah more rest yeah yeah and um I mean for you personally like we've noticed that you've had a little bit of uh, an uptake and roll from last year more coming off the bench more last year now even getting a start this year especially in the the first Parkside game how's that been like as far as like the team dynamic changing and now filling into a new role because I mean um Dorian Aluyi, we haven't really talked about. Um, I know that he's been banged up in the, in the injury room, and um, now having an opening in the starting lineup that you and like other guys like Jeremiah and um, some guys have been rotating in and out. What has that been like? The the constant change as far as adjustments throughout the weeks and the games. I mean, each each game there's different personnel, so coach feels like you know there's different starters who could you know rise to the challenge, and it. And it really doesn't matter. Like I've started some games this year, and I've came off the bench and others. I, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I, I mean, last year I didn't play a whole lot. I got injured mid-season, and then it kind of, you know, messed with my rotation time a little bit. But this year I just kind of had the mindset like whatever minutes I get, just try to make the best of them. Um, so I mean, yeah, there's we lost. You know, we lost Greg Cole and D'Lo last year. So three big players that, you know, played a lot of minutes for us and won a lot of rings for us. So it's, it's kind of like we're trying to still kind of figure out who's going to fill those shoes and who's going to be a, you know, a natural leader. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a lot of us fans, we know Coach Bronkema is the really commanding personality, the loud personality that's on the court. What's it like kind of going to practice and also just see him kind of in the everyday life, just kind of behind the scenes that the fans might not see? Yeah, I mean, Coach Bronx is awesome. Like, 
I I remember when I was getting recruited by Ferris and I came to games and I'd watch him stomp his feet. I'd watch him scream at refs and I was like, this is awesome. He cares. Like he wants to win and like there is not one thing that man won't do to win a basketball game. Like he he wants the upper edge at at all costs. You know, he'll play a freshman. He doesn't care. Like he 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 loves to win and I mean, we all kind of like vibe off him. We all ride off his energy and you know, it's it's just so awesome to have a coach and him and even our assistant coach, Coach Moan, like he 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 kind of feeds off Bronx and he'll he'll talk to us separate separately, pull us aside and just be like, you know, it's okay, like d- don't take it too personal because you know Bronx cares so much and even if he yells at you, you know, it's just all out of love. He's he just knows what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. So. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, and you brought up um, your recruiting days when you obviously were looking at Ferris State. You um, all stay honoree in high school at St. Clair. Um, when was really the moment where you you were probably playing, or you were in when you were in high school, and you realized like, oh, I want to go to college to play basketball? Yeah, I probably realized that like eighth grade year, ninth grade year. I started. I used to love football more, but I kind of honestly, I just kind of got scared seeing all the injuries and stuff like that. So. I just tried to focus more on basketball and, you know, eighth grade, I was like, I just want to play college basketball. I don't care like where it's at. And then probably it was my sophomore year of high school. I started getting recruited by division two schools. And in my junior year, coach Brian, come on. He doesn't coach here anymore. Coach Lake. Uh, they were just, they just, they really wanted me. And I, I, I loved the campus. My brother went here and then I just loved the success of the program. And then my senior year of high school, they won a national championship. So I made, I know I made a no brain decision, you know, like it was an easy decision for sure. Yeah. Hard to turn down a ring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. pretty, that's a pretty yeah. cool thing. That's so cool. And I mean, St. Clair, we were talking a little bit uh, before the show is you can, it's a stone's throw away from the Canadian border. Uh, what's it, I mean, what's it like really when you came here for the first year, you're over 200 miles away from home. What was it kind of a adjusting to adult life and being on your own and not really maybe not having as much uh experience with your family that you might like to yeah it was i mean i think every college kid goes through this like you know just being an adult you got it you know there's nobody telling you to do things anymore you you're you're eating at a cafeteria instead of homemade meals so i mean the basketball aspect was hugely different you know a lot more intense everybody's better or just as good as you you know like you can't have a bad day or your spot's gonna get taken in high school you can get away with things that you can't get away with anymore and St. Clair's not it's not that big you know a class b school so like we hadn't had a kid play college basketball at St. Clair in years you know so I was getting away with a lot of things that when I came here I had to change I had to work harder you know work my routine and classes got harder so you just kind of got to manage your time better obviously I mean those are kind of stereotypical things that all college kids have to do not just athletes but yeah it it was definitely a big culture shock but probably like two three months in just really fell in love with the school fell in love with basketball again and just you know making great friendships with my teammates so yeah and um looking at like the the team from obviously this year is a lot different than last year which was a lot different than the year before what's been what's something that like fans are noticing as we have some home games coming up that you guys are thankfully we get to see you finally play again at home um when what is going to be the things that we're going to be more accustomed to seeing this year rather than last year what are some differences you've noticed so far um differences is like so there's no red shirts this year because everybody gets a COVID year so Mm -hmm. like we have kids who might you know might have redshirted this year but they're playing because you know so there's going to be a lot of new faces out Mm -hmm. on the court um and then I said like I talked about it earlier we lost three huge players like Mm -hmm. two two starters and then Greg was the sixth man so like we lost three of our top six and so, like, you're just going to see people who you might not seen, and they're going to flourish in their roles, and I think we've already had that. I mean, obviously, we have Walt Kelser, who's the best scorer I've ever played with, and you, you guys saw that last year, So, and he's, he's back at it this year. He's already got two upper 30 performances. So, I mean, you're just going to see more people just kind of flourish in their roles and see what they're really capable of and maybe even be surprised a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, going back to what you said about, you know, Cole and Greg and all those guys that left last year, you've kind of seen a couple of players kind of flourish and then they go on to better things outside of college. What were their effects on you really when um, you first came here and just even last year and this year? What do you kind of work to do to kind of use those influences that they've given you? Yeah, I mean, 
like especially Greg, because me and Greg played the same position, so I spent a lot of time with Greg. We both mm -hmm. played, you know, shooting guard and D'Lo a little bit too. Like they they know what they then they know what they're doing. You know, they each got three conference championship rings and a national championship ring. So for me not to listen to them would just be absurd. Like so, I just you know every day last year just taking taking information away from especially Greg and D'Lo just like. It, it it was awesome, you know, watching them on the court, watching how hard they play, and watching you know them do the right thing. Yeah, and um, to kind of wrap up the interview, we always ask the an athlete the 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 main question that I think I get asked so far often: what is what is the best thing that you like being a bulldog? So, I mean, the best thing that I like is winning. You know, I I love being part of like a winning culture where winning is everything, and then. Um, other than that, it's just, like, the relationships, like, other people that, like, you know, live and breathe basketball who love it and just being with these guys every single day, especially right now. Like, you're not really supposed to be around, you know, that many people, six feet, all this stuff. So, like, we're with them every day. So we definitely, like, we definitely become closer due to COVID and stuff like that. So I would just say, like, winning and the relationships for sure. That's so cool to see. And, I mean, just to kind of see how you guys have been able to play these past couple of years and also this year, it's going to be super awesome just to see how you guys turn out with this season. We wish you luck against Northern upcoming this weekend. Hopefully you guys can get the W. Thanks so much for coming on, Ben. Uh, we really like to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Once again, thank you to Ben Davidson for taking time out of his Thursday to come chat with us. We really appreciated all that he had to say, and I hope you guys did too, as we have to talk about their win on Saturday as they beat Northern in the second half of the weekend doubleheader. Um, not necessarily the outcome we wanted in the first game, and I know uh, a lot of fans were just kind of a little baffled that Northern got us for the second time in the, the last calendar year. But, I mean, Northern's just one of those teams where they're just – they're just, they just they're just sneaky. They were solid. I mean, especially last year, they had a little bit of a slow start, and then they kind of came in and then they were able to play really well. I mean, when they came before the tournament, we went to that game together, Brandon, and they played extremely well. I mean, mm -hmm. it was down to the wire. I think that was the red out game, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And then I mean, we ended. I think we ended up only beating them by like two or three points. Then they were the team that we faced off in the first round of the Gleak tourney. They ended up knocking us out. I think by like five. It was it was a couple points. Now we want to see, and I mean, we're staying with the pattern of losing the first one, turning around, and being able to kind of handily win the second second bout of of the weekend of uh, the weekend uh, pair of games over the past couple of weeks. And I mean, hopefully we don't do that against Lake Superior State coming up because that would kind of suck. But. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, Ben. I mean, Ben played pretty well against in this game. I think he had yeah, he uh, eight points. Um, Walt had fifteen. Dang had four. A pretty solid show about from uh, from the whole team. Pretty even across the board. Uh, but like I said, if we can kind of get on this, uh, get on the hump of winning both games, winning and kind of sweeping the se sweeping the sweeping the series of the weekends, then I think that's going to be really good come tournament time but it's going to come down if we're able to do that or not. Yeah, I think the one thing that is a little concerning is once we get into um, tournament play, we're not going to have two games to beat somebody. Yeah, and it's, that, it's, that one, is, it's all or nothing. you yeah, you got to come almost, out swinging. We almost want to win the first game hypothetically because, I mean, you can't lose and then come back and win the next game in tournament because single elimination, don't like that. So, I mean, you got to be – I mean, you got to be slightly concerned, but – we're we're not concerned about it. I know that I'm. I don't think that that's really going to be affecting us too much. I know that Bronx has done a great job of adjusting, and I think that it's definitely something where it's like, yeah, we we haven't beaten these teams handily two games in a row. But you got to remember, this is the Gliac Conference. It's one of the best conferences in Division Two, and there's so many good teams. And mm -hmm. I mean the first, the, I mean the first game at Northern. I mean there was just. We we really just kind of we we struggled sometimes with with the gimmies like we we just struggled it seemed like from inside the yard just putting the ball in the basket I mean thirty seven percent is it's it's not terrible obviously could have been worse but I mean when you have opportunities to to put the ball in the hole from short distance and you can't do so it just makes things so much tougher because I mean when you're trying to fight back and you're not getting the gimmies to go. It's it's really just a tough task, and I mean we 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 overall played pretty well. I mean we were I mean if you look at the stat sheet from without watching the game, I mean it's really pretty even as far as like 
pretty even, like 37 to 32 rebounds, 9 to 8 turnovers. There really wasn't that much like of a change. I mean, Northern got out to a little bit of a hot start, and basically that's what held the rest of the way, and they ended up winning by 8 in the first matchup. But the second matchup was definitely a lot better. I mean, it started off pretty, pretty similar. It was a pretty even first half, and then I don't know what happened in the locker room at halftime. But boy, did our, our boys come to play in the second half. I mean, f- outscored 40 to 19. They turned it up and took care of business. I know Bronx was happy about that, and we sure are. That I mean, as much as we want to sweep, it's definitely good to leave off the series on that high note, playing a really good half of basketball. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's really good to see. And it was definitely. pretty, yeah, it was pretty even scoring across the board too. Um, Mason Pline had six. Ben had eight in the second game. Uh, Walt only had nine. And that's the funny thing is, you say Walt only has nine. And this was all in the second half. These. And that's what's crazy is you're like, oh, that's not too bad. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, that was in the half. Like, we scored 40 in the half. We were playing extremely well. And we were forcing turnovers. And, I mean, Northern just basically, it just seemed like they kind of, I don't want to say, like, ran out of gas, but they just weren't hot anymore. I mean, they shot 2 of 16 from 3. It just seemed like the the all the, the, the layover of how well they played in the first game, just kind of, you knew that some of that that worst play was going to come in the second mm-hmm. game, and it was good that our boys took care of it. Yeah, I mean, twelve games left in the season. I mean, I would, I don't want to say plenty of time because you definitely want to make the changes fast and get on much of a hot streak as you can. But uh, Lakes Pierce State, Michigan Tech coming up as well. Grand Valley State going to come up kind of later in the season as well. So big games that we do have to win. Big games that we kind of have to get prepared for. No doubt that Bronx is going to get them ready. No doubt that Ben's going to be ready to kind of take a leadership role in the team. And I know that the guys are ready just to play ball, and we'll see what happens. But nonetheless, very excited. Women's, on the other hand, had the same uh, outcomes for the games as the men's did. Uh, lost the first bout, but came back and won uh, won pretty well in the second game. Uh, it was good to see, Brandon. I'm noticing a pattern. I yeah. think, what, is, what is this pattern? It's kind of weird. It's like... I can like you. You look on Twitter like, and you're like, "Oh no, the girls lost. That's unfortunate." But it's like in the backyard, you're like, "Oh, then that means they're gonna have to win the second game because that's been the what the narrative's been all year long, and that's what they did last week against Parkside." So it's it's really funny to see how this pattern is kind of just. It's going with all with both the men's and the women's side, not just one team. It's just really weird. But I mean, and nonetheless, here's here's the bottom line. You you take the split rather than get swept. That's that's the bottom line. You got one of the games, and that's definitely better than losing both. And Northern's mm-hmm. a pretty pretty solid team, and I mean, they they shot the lights out in the first game. They were forty eight percent from three, twelve of twenty five to be exact, eighty one percent from the line. They took care of business shooting the basketball, and that's really what kind of separated. Um, us and them in this game. I mean, they even had more turnovers. Like we did a pretty good job of taking care of the ball, but I mean. I think the the biggest thing that we've really been missing th- from last year to this year is just just a big physical presence in the paint, and Riley was really that person that really mm-hmm. really has did a, such a great job. And I think we take it a little bit for granted how great she was. And I mean, when you get you, you get out rebounded thirty seven and nineteen, that just shows it's you gonna, right. Yeah, th- it's going to be tough to even really make a difference on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, they, they scrapped, they got boards, they got second chances, and that's that's really what helped them into this game. And, I mean, the second the second game, much, much better. We played a lot more efficiently. Uh, we played much better defensively, forced 22 turnovers. Yes, you heard that right, 22 turnovers. Great job by the coaching staff making the adjustments, and that defensive performance was fantastic because, then again, they, they shot better than us, but our defense was mm-hmm. amped up, and we, we ended up taking this one, especially um, they had a surge late in the fourth quarter, and we held them off just enough to w- end up winning 66-64. to But definitely, definitely a good thing to see that we, once again, it's like I literally don't want to keep saying because it, it's so repetitive, but it's just like, this is the bottom line. You take a split rather than getting swept. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, if you're competitive and you want to get the win, then that's that's better than nothing, really. But on the northern side, that's one name we've definitely got to watch out for come tournament time and later season, and even probably if they make it into the national tournament. McKaylee Kuhn has been playing extremely solid. 31 points in the first game. I think it was like 16 in the second game. She was a very big force uh, down low, and you can definitely tell that she was really proving to be a a problem uh, for our Ferris girls. But nonetheless, like you said, rather take the split than get swept. 
We played pretty well, 66-64 in the second game. Got Both men and women have Lake Superior State come Tuesday. Uh, in the interview, Ben said they're the travel partners. So we'll only, I think, see them once now and then once later in the year. So mm-hmm. uh, kind of probably going to be the only kind of normal scheduling uh, than normal other than this kind of weird weekend bouts that we've been seeing so far. But Ferris State Hockey, though, they played Minnesota State over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Ended up losing both games, first game 4-0, to zero, second game 4-1. to one. Not the greatest that we want to see, but nonetheless, Minnesota State is one of the better teams in the, in the WCHA. And, I mean, what, what more can you ask for, especially for on the road? Yeah, I mean... I believe they're number two ranked right now in in the entire the entire league, and that just shows you how great they are. And they've always had a good program. I mean, they've won art. They've already won eight games, and if that like that's just or I'm nine now. Actually, they're nine one and one, and that they're they're just such a good hockey team. And I know a lot of people were talking about this game, like, oh boy, this is gonna be. We're gonna we're gonna really see how how gritty we are and how good we can we can play compared to these guys because these guys are really, I think Bob, our coach Daniel said it the best is like this is a team that you can, you can compare to and show how great you are because they're just such a solid program they do such a great job that when you when you're gonna come in and play against Minnesota State you know you're gonna have a tough task at hand and it was it wasn't like obviously yeah we we, we would have wanted it to be a little closer but. I mean, we just they just they just kept pounding and pounding at us. I mean, 36 shots on net. You're it's really going to be a rarity to see 36 shots and none of them in the back of the net. And both times they ended up having four of them. And we just couldn't we couldn't answer with the same offense. It seemed like we had we just had a, a lot of times where we were playing catch up and just trying just trying to hang tough as long as we could. I mean, they had they had the puck in our eyes for a while. And they just they they just grinded us down, and that was just really hard to see. And I mean, when you get like you're like you look at the stat sheet, I mean they had a combined in the two games combined, they outshot us seventy to twenty six. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that's really not tough. great. That's really tough. That's it's in a situation where like if you don't. Because, like, goalies, if you don't give them a lot, of, like, if you don't keep pounding them, if you don't keep pounding them with shots, they're not going to be able to make those mistakes that you can that you can really kind of take advantage of. And especially when you have Logan Stein and Ronnie Salmon Kangas sharing, I think it's like, like you said, 70-some shots between the two of them. You definitely know that every once in a while they're going to get a little bit tired. They might have a little bit of a lapse in judgment. And you can't really blame them too much because facing that constant barrage of shots is not an easy task. And, I mean, when you play a good team like Minnesota State, it's bound to happen. But if you don't really meet that offensive intensity, I don't think you can really think of you, – you really can't do much if you don't try to match them where they can really make it hurt for you. So, obviously, uh, not the outcome that we want, especially not the outcome we want for this season. Northern Michigan coming up this weekend, Friday and Saturday. It's going to be ha- – no, excuse me. It's going to be at Northern Michigan in Marquette, and then we're going to have a homestand after of about four games. Michigan Tech and Bemidji State are going to be in Big Rapids, so hopefully that can be some uh, some saving grace for us for the season, especially since maybe the boys will get comfortable at the home ice at Wink. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think or not Wink. A. Glavin, excuse me. Yes. Um. Yeah. Good fix. Uh. It. We. We just need something to pick me up, and I think that's what all the fans want, and all the coaches want, because it's. It's just really hard. It's just hard to go through what like this team's gone through. I mean, it's been count like earlier in the weeks we didn't even have a full roster because there was some guys out on COVID for contact contract or contact tracing. Well, I don't know how that was so hard to say. Con- <laughs> contact tracing and all these other things, injuries. Like we hadn't had a full roster until I believe it was last week. And that's just something hard when you got you're you, you're practicing with guys all week, two weeks at a time, and then one of them goes out. You got to replace. You got to mm. fix the lines because you want to have the right fits in each line. And because like chemistry is important, like especially when you're throwing three, five lines out there, like everybody's got to be on the same page because you're not going to try to mix in all during the game. I mean, obviously you have situational stuff, but that's mm-hmm. there, it's a lot. There's a lot of things that go into being able to have your unit being just as efficient as the last unit and being able to step up and take control, especially with some of these guys now that are putting getting put into these spots because other guys are out for various reasons that they have to step up. And I mean, our team is so young that that is a tough, that is a really tough task. Cause I mean, well, I think, um, 
Coach Daniel said that we have so we have so many young guys on, especially like the the, the later lines and on the defensive side that like they're 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 still learning. I mean, there's only one junior on as a defenseman right now. Like all the rest of them are underclassmen. That just shows you how young we are. And we've got some we've got a lot of we got a lot of good talent. We've got a lot of good guys that are in their their younger stages that are going to play really well. I mean, Jake Willits has been great in as a defenseman in the back. I mean, um and then we have other veteran guys in the back, Captain Liam McDougal, who's been really a key part of our success. And then goal-scoring machine this year, um, Ethan Stewart, has also been very good. So there's a lot of promising pieces, and I think it's just it's really hard. We, we're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel yet. And it's really, it's really hard to look up when you can't see the light. But you just got to look at the positives. There's a lot of good pieces here. This is a young team. We understand it's going to be tough. But we're going to hang in there for our dogs because one day we're going to be back on top again. It's going to be so glorious. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's so tough being an athlete. And just in anything to really just be working and not really see the the benefit of the, of the outcome and the benefit of your work yet. But to see how we have a young team who's able to do pretty well and we're kind of we're finding our stride, I feel like. Although our record doesn't show, we're finding our stride. We're, like we said, we're in probably a real – we're in – one of the toughest conferences of the Midwest and in, in, in the United States. And, I mean, we're playing against teams that are, are very solid. Northern and Michigan Tech have really been kind of on the upside of their of their, uh, of their their hockey program. And, you know, we're in a little bit of a downside. But, nonetheless, I think we're going to really be able to come out of it better than ever. Like you said, young team in the next couple of years, probably three or four, a little bit of a hand. We're probably going to be solid. We're going to come out of this, I think, better than ever. We're going to come out of this solid, and we're going to come out of this with with a with a depth of a team that's going to be able to rival probably anybody in the country, and you can you can put that on paper that I said that. All right, Rome wasn't built in one day. <laughs> yes, I got to say it again. <laughs> anyway, um, now kind of transitioning over, we got some NFL to talk about, some big championship matchups that happened on Sunday. First of them being Tampa Bay rises again. They're going to be going home for the Super Bowl as they beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers 31 to 26 on Sunday. And this one this is this is a game that I think a lot of people were really anticipating cuz I mean when you got two great quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers going at it, it's always must-see TV because these guys have been in their prime doing it so well for how mm-hmm. long in their career. And it was just a really fun matchup to be anticipating. And it was really a pretty a pretty solid game. I mean, it came down to the wire. I mean, I think this is one thing that a lot of people are taking a little bit for granted after after watching this game. And yes, Tom Brady's great. He's pro- he's gonna probably be voted as the greatest of all time. He's going to be he's going on to his way to his tenth Super Bowl for the chance to win his seventh ring. And that's something that not a lot of people can do. And, but the thing that I have with is the defense played so well, and they're not really getting the recognition I think they deserve from yesterday because Tom Brady had he had a great he had a pretty good game. I mean, he had three interceptions. Two two of those interceptions were kind of circumstantial, basically as good as a punt. And I mean. Yeah, you can bring in the point that the wide receivers had ten drops, and I I will go on record that saying that there was not ten there was not necessarily ten drops as much as ten passes that were not caught for various reasons, mm-hmm. and some of them were overthrows that were listed as drops. But the defense, like after those interceptions, that this was the difference. Like it was, they ca- like if after one of the interceptions they go down and score a touchdown. And then the, Tom gets picked again just to start the fourth quarter. And the defense steps up, forces the Packers to punt. Then the same scenario happens again. Tom throws one up there, gets intercepted. This is his third straight drive with an interception. And the defense steps up, no yards on three plays, forces another punt. Like, that defense stepped up in a huge way. And, I mean, you can look at the stats and, oh, yeah, the Packers had more yards. But in those tough scenarios, in those clutch moments, that defense prevailed. And I think that's what ultimately won in the football game. 
No, definitely. And, I mean, you can definitely tell that the defense really had an effect on it because how many times has Green Bay not scored over 30 points this season? And, I mean, they've been one of the – obviously one of the most efficient offenses that we've seen so far in the National Football League. And, you know, I mean, before in the year, Tampa Bay, they still held them to 10 points, and I thought that was going to be kind of one of the big things because we saw how good this Tampa Bay defense was and how Aaron Rodgers reacted to it. And I know a lot of people are saying, like, Tom was the main reason. I agree with you, Brandon. The, the defense deserves way more credit, way more recognition, just because watching the game and watching the highlights and the recaps and stuff like that, the defense pressured Aaron Rodgers so much. Like, even with, with even just not even with interceptions or with drop passes or anything. Like, there's times where he was getting pressured and there wasn't very good throws, and that was kind of the main reason why they were able to hold him. And, like, they were just solid they play it like dogs out there and I think that's the one thing that you got to chalk up for one of the main reasons why Tampa Bay won the game because if their defense played half as good as that there probably was going to be a huge difference in the outcome of this game and I think Green Bay would have been the one that would have been moving on to Atlanta to play in the Super Bowl and Tom Brady wouldn't have gotten his 10th shot at the ring yeah Rodgers got sacked five times and I believe two of those came on those drives that I was talking about after a Buccaneer turnover a chance to really chip into the lead and take advantage and they didn't and that just gives credit to the Buccaneers defense I mean yeah the Buccaneers did play very well offensively I mean they, they pretty much they did what they needed to do and I mean they 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 had the lead at halftime. They had the huge throw to Scotty Miller at the end. I mean that that play was just crazy. I mean, I I really like the, it was it was hard to watch. Peter King just seemed like struggle all night long. Yeah. I mean he got burnt on the opening touchdown pass to Mike Evans, and then at the very end of the half, I mean there were, I mean there was times he just got just got smoked on routes. And you were you were just like, man, where is like what what's going on? Like he was playing pretty well this year. I mean, I wouldn't say him, not necessarily at Jair Alexander level, but he was definitely playing some good football. And I mean, he was a he was a good piece on why that Packer defense did so well against the Rams. Yeah, and why a lot of people thought they could win this game because their defense had played so well the week before. But I mean, then he gets burned at halftime against Scotty Miller, who's pretty an underrated speedy receiver that we definitely saw and I think a lot of teams might be having him on their radars now after what he showed off at the end of the first half with that catch it was just rough to see like Green Bay secondary got picked apart at some points but then there was times where they stepped up and got interceptions and I think it was just at the end the the times and the moments the big moments that the Packers could have taken advantage they got shut down I think that's the reason that the Bucks came on top but you got to give credit Tom Brady First year with a new team, first year with a new playbook, a new coach, new players, and back to old, back to his old self. Going back to the yeah, AFC, back, back to where, he's, all, comf- back I just to where pulled, he's comfortable. I just did it. I just said AFC Championship. I just pulled a Gronk. I'm so <laughs> used to it. That's why. That's why he's back into a conference championship game. There we go. And now he's back to the Super Bowl. So really, really good to see. And his opponent. Just like the storybook writes, he's going to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, who prevailed on Sunday night, 38-24. to And I think the, the, one of the key things in this game is like, I mean, at the start of the, the, start of the game, it looked like it was all Buffalo. Like, they, they went down, yeah. they got a field goal, and on a side note, Tyler Bass was great yesterday. I think he had three 50-plus yard field goals. Like, that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, he, they just couldn't get any other offense, it seemed like. But, I mean, they go, they get nine points in the first quarter. They're leading, and they they took advantage off that muff punt from Michael Hardman in the first quarter. It just seemed like, oh, my goodness, the Bills have all the momentum right now. But then the second quarter, they turn it around, and it was really, really an exciting thing to see if you're a Chiefs fan. Because, I mean, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. You're like, oh my goodness, when are we going to when are we gonna start turning it up again? And then in that second quarter, they just they just turn it around. And they, they really pulled they had 21 straight points. And then their offense just took over from there after halftime. I mean, then the defense got an interception on Josh Allen. They go down and score. And that was basically what it seemed like to be the nail in the coffin. It was 38-15 to at that point. And I, th- I think the one thing that um, I know that we both agree on, Joe, is Buffalo 
they got to solve the running back spot because they can't try to outthrow everybody. And I know that's hard to say because they've done so a lot of times this year. But when you're getting down to these teams where they're going to have to play, I mean, like Kansas City has an underratedly good defense. I mean, it gets overshadowed because they have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek yeah. Hill and Travis Kelsey, which obviously that offense is the best in the NFL for a reason. But I think their defense, I mean, that's the reason that like they they did so well in the the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, the offense took over, but the defense was able to hold the ground and that's how they pulled the comeback against the 49ers. So, if you're Josh Allen and the Bills and you're the Bills organization, what you're going to be doing in the offseason is going to be really interesting to watch because you got you got a lot of pieces. I mean, the defense was a little bit of a step down from years past. Like we we're, yeah. we're used to the we're used to the Bills being a gritty good defensive team. And this year they kind of were a little bit, and I want to say softer, but they definitely played a lot more zone than I feel like I remember. But you're gonna, have, in my mind, they got to solve the running game, and if they can figure that out, they can be a deadly team. Yeah, and because like you said, once they get to the later part of the of the season where they have to play tougher teams that can really shut down that passing threat and kind of adapt to able adapt their defense to kind of pick apart your offensive scheme. What are you going to do when that's the only option that you have is to run and the only runner you have is Josh Allen? He's not going to be able to do too much because he's not hes not very sh- – I mean, he can be shifty at times, but it's not like he's going to be able to like, basically move an offense with or move a defense with his feet just by a couple little stutter steps and moves like that. And I think once they do that, that's going to really push them over the edge to be that Super Bowl – I mean, they are a Super Bowl contending team, but the team to get them to the Super Bowl and get them to the biggest stage on, on National Football League – basically and I don't know Kansas City they played extremely well they just took over I I think that as long as Andy Reid can keep basically the big three of that Kansas City offense together the next five six seven years is going to be all Chiefs and they're going to be basically the new New England Patriots and I'm, I'm excited especially for the Super Bowl because Kansas City it's basically second generation Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady and it's going to be Two very solid teams, two solid defenses versus each other, and then a very two very solid offenses together. So it's going to be very evenly matched. I don't know if it's going to be kind of a shootout or if it's going to be a low-scoring game, but either way, fans are going to be allowed at this at the Super Bowl too. So it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be super fun to watch because, I mean, greatest of all time quarterback arguably versus the guy who's probably going to take over his mantle when Tom Brady retires and Patrick Mahomes. I'm super excited. Yeah, and they're also having um, healthcare workers at the stadium, which I think is pretty cool because they deserve a lot of the credit for this season because a lot of them made it possible with COVID and handling the situation. I think that's something really cool. Um, but it it's definitely going to be interesting because, I mean, the, the Bills, you have a lot of good pieces. I mean, their offense, you've, you've figured out that Stephon Diggs is your guy, and you got a lot of underrated guys around him like Cole Beasley and John Brown. And they they got a lot of good pieces on the offensive side. Defensively was a little bit of a setback, but I mean, in years past they've been so great. So it'll be interesting because they could pull a Michigan like Don Brown and move on from a coordinator spot, even though they've done good in years past because they want a fresh start on the defensive side. I don't anticipate that happening. And it sounds like Brian Dable is going to stay on the offensive side. So if you're the Bills, you're just tweaking some, making some adjustments. You're going to run it back. So it's because I mean, you look at like. Zach Moss was supposed to be kind of the guy that was going to come in and save them. And it really turned into a committee with Devin Singletary. And, I mean, Moss didn't play in this game, and he was replaced by TJ Yeldon, and who also had some contribution of 15 yards. But, I mean, Josh Allen had 88 yards on seven carries, and the the rest of the rushing was less than 40 yards. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you're... If your actual running back's job is to run the ball, gets less than the quarterback's, when you have three of them all combined, that's when you know you kind of got to figure out what you what do you have to do in the off season to make it so that you ha- can make your offense that yeah, much better. Which it may not be, it may not be go out and get a workhorse type of guy. It might just be to change your scheme because I mean we yeah. we see Lamar Jackson out rushing for his team because I mean that's their scheme. Like they have times where they have read options, they have quarterback yeah. designed runs, and those type of things, which I'm sure they can. You want to invoking Josh Allen's game because he does so well and I mean there was a couple runs last night where you were like oh man he's running wild like he's running like a running back right now he's avoiding tackles breaking tackles getting extra yards but I mean that's something that's tough because you know like in the end you want to keep Josh Allen as long as possible you want to keep him healthy you don't want to give him 
serious injury trouble like a Drew Brees or something where he's basically at the point like, yeah, he's near the end of his career. He's so banged up from the years past. Now he's banged up this year that he's going to be forced to retire. But you want to keep him more like Phillip Rivers and ride off into the sunset after a very solid season in injury-free mm-hmm. fashion. So, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting that we'll we'll have to see. But, yes, yeah. Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees did retire, so we wish. It's kind of scary now because, like, kind of going into how these two are related is, like, we have the, the old generation is basically leaving because – but except Tom Brady is an exception because he's gonna play till he's like sixty at this point. By the looks yeah, of it, he, I, don't, I don't know about sixty, but yeah, basically I, he's probably gonna die on the field. Is yeah, you get the saying. you get the hyperbole. But I mean, now you got Ben Roethlisberger at the nearing the end of his career. They're already looking elsewhere. They signed Dwayne Haskins actually already that they want want to try to develop him. That's an interesting selection. Yeah. and then Philip Rivers and Drew Brees have both officially hung up their jerseys and their cleats, and then you got other guys that are kind of. You're just like, man, it's kind of tough to see like a lot of these quarterbacks now starting to move on into their final stages, which moves us into our next topic that we we have to talk about as Lions fans. And it's really kind of depressing, but we're going to move on from Matthew Stafford. It's beneficial. It's been written. It's happening. And it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, the we've seen the thank you nine social media just blow up, which has been awesome because I think – Matthew deserves credit because mm-hmm. no matter what what this team went through, I mean, we were just beaten and battered, just like Dan Campbell said, beaten, battered, bruised. Like, this team's went through a lot. And you got you, you obviously have your point on who's to blame because really you were, we're, a lot of people are trying to assess the blame and trying to see what the problem, the root of the problem is to try to fix it. But, I mean, Matt Stafford's gave it as all for Detroit, whether they're 3-12 and or... 12 and 3. Well, I guess we're not. We haven't been 12 and 3. But you you get my point. Regardless if we're winning or losing, he's been giving it his all. And there's been games this year where frankly, he should not have played. He was literally not healthy. And I think there was there's just so much uh, that just so much respect that he cares that much for the for the city regardless how we win, lose, that he wanted to be out there on the football field. And that just gives you credit for the toughness he's bringing. Yeah, and I think if you're a Lions fan and if and if you're mad about like Matt Stafford parting ways, it's I think you just gotta reassess yourself because as as much as it sucks to say, Lions probably aren't gonna be a Super Bowl contending team in the next four or five years, most likely. We, yeah, maybe. It, not, there's not, a possibility. Not in the next two years, yeah. There's a possibility, but while Matthew Stafford is in the later part of his prime, and while he's really getting up there with, I mean, he's been in the league for what almost fifty. He was drafted in 2003, correct? Something like that? Oh, no. It was like 2007. Wow. I My time is <laughs> my timeline as well. But regardless, he's been in the league for like 14 years. And if we want, if you're a fan and you don't want to see him leave, I want to see him get a ring. If that was with the Lions or if that's with somebody else, so be it. Because I'm a fan of Matthew Stafford and I love what he's done for the city. I love what his family's done for the city because they've just been a key part in really just – building a lot of things and I think it's going to suck to see him go and it's going to be tough to have to find a new franchise quarterback and to see someone who's going to be able to really take control and find the trust uh, of, of the fans and of the team again because Matthew Stafford has held had the helm of the team for so long but regardless I'm ha- I'm not happy to see him go but I'm happy to be able to see him have a chance a better chance of getting a Super Bowl ring and really cap off a career where he should have been able I mean we're not going to talk about the pass interference against the Cowboys because Don't. that could be a whole different no, thing. No, but no, <laughs> Like I said, not to be a dead horse, I'm not happy to see him go, but I'm happy to see him get another opportunity. Yeah, and it was 2009 he was actually drafted. I'm punching myself right now. But it's like it's got to be hard for him coming in because, I mean, like the 2008 team was one of – one of the worst, if not the worst, team in NFL history. The 0-16 team. We were terrible. Like So we were bad. We absolute, were literally the worst. It, like I don't know how to describe how bad we were. We were just so bad. I mean, Rod Marinelli just seemed like he was trying everything, and then it seemed like he was trying nothing. I, it was like, oh my goodness, we're just going to just end the misery, please. Like, this is just absolutely gross. I mean, that was, I think, the year that Orlovsky ran out of the back of the end zone and got a safety on a shotgun snap from the goal line. Yeah, that's how bad we were. We didn't even know where we were on the field at some point. But regardless, just the fact that he came in 
full head high, positive attitude, came in, and within three years, I believe it was, in 12 or 11, we ended up having an 11-5 season made it to the playoffs. And that was just like, yes, we did it. We finally got back. And then from there, we got to Jim Caldwell, and we made two wild card appearances, bringing one of those moments to what you just talked about, and I'm not going to say any more about it. And it was tough. And then we decided to hire Matt Patricia to take us to the next step, to the next level. We boy, have, boy, we, were we wrong. Oh, boy. We didn't. And I think this is the thing. Matt Patricia is a great guy for X's and O's. He really is. Like, I mean, the fact is the Patriots defense had a great, great defense, an underrated defense at that because, once again, they're overshadowed by Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Anyway, their defense was great, and he he's a great X's and O's guy. Him being able to lead an organization and a team in a way a head coach should, it didn't work out. He's not that type of guy. That's what we've learned. And when he was faced with a lot of the adversity from outside stuff, he didn't want to take it anymore. And, I mean, in the end, he went 13-29. and 29. So the fact is he wasn't the right head coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now who are we going to hire next? An electric crazy football guy named Dan Campbell. We're going to bite your kneecaps off. My goodness. If you haven't seen that press conference. That was, I literally, when I watched that like segment, I was just like, I want to like run through a wall or something <laughs> right now. Run through the brick wall. He's that guy. And that's what I'm excited about is I think, here's the thing. Dan Campbell's not Robert Sala. Dan Campbell's not Eric Bieniemy. Dan Campbell's not Arthur Smith. They're not the big-name guys that have developed their teams with the X's and O's. But remember this. That's what Patricia was. He was the guy that was X's and O's that could lead, was supposed to be the savior of our defense. And it actually got worse, statistically. It got worse. And this is the nice thing. We have a head coach now that's not an X's and O's guy. He's the Mike Tomlin kind of guy, a motivator, a football guy. The guy that can bring a locker room together, fix with the outside stuff, and manage the games on Sundays. And Mike Tomlin's one of the probably going to go down as one of the I don't want to say the greatest, but one of the greatest coaches to coach this game because the fact is the Steelers have been a contender for how long, and they've had great teams. Years. They've had Super Bowls. Like they, the fact is they've been great. And you would if you put all the coaches in a in in a giant pool, and you said who are the best three coaches in the NFL. You would point probably at Bill Belichick, naturally. Makes sense. You would definitely probably look somewhere around Andy Reid, I would say. Or maybe maybe you could say like somebody young like Sean McVay now or whatever. But the third it ha- like Tomlin has gotta be in that three. Like he has to be. He's been he's been a no great doubt. coach and they made the playoffs with backup quarterbacks. Quack quack duck hodges. They made the court. They made the playoffs. Like they, they should not have had a chance, and they, they, they've done it. And why? Because being able to work with the organization, move forward, motivate, understand how to take a team and put them in the best position possible with coordinators and coaches and staff and organize everything. Mike Tomlin was the guy to do that, mm-hmm. and that's what I think they really want to see, like out of a Dan Campbell type figure. And I'm excited because, I mean, if he, if you're not excited after seeing this press conference. Ooh. If you're not ready to bite someone's kneecaps off after they push you down, and on the on the way up they're gonna sock you one in the chin and bite your kneecaps off, yeah. I don't know what what's what what you're gonna be excited for. But I mean, I'm I'm staying. I don't want to get too excited because I was excited when Matt Patricia got hired and I was like, oh, he's a savior. He's gonna change our defense. Like that's what's needed to be fixed for so long. That's what's kind of been holding us back because our offense has been able to produce when we didn't think they were able to. I'm going to stay a little bit – I don't know the right word for it, but I'm not going to get too excited because I don't want to have my heart broken again. Eh, However, if the speech is any indication or if the conference is anything, any indication about how his career with Lions is going to go, sign me up. I'm ready. I mean, if they need – I'm just ready. Like that – not to be a dead horse, but if that, if that conference doesn't get you ready to just like do whatever at like 100% – and just get ready to just like attack the day. If you need like a ringtone or if you need like an alarm, set that as your alarm for the morning <laughs> because that gets you ready and that gets you going in the morning. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine just waking up. We're going to bite your kneecaps. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to go to work. Okay. But no, it's 
he's a motivator. He and this is, I think, the one thing that a lot of people should know. He wanted to be here, and that's a lot. That's that, not easy to find someone that wants to be in somebody Detroit. That wants to be in Detroit is hard to find, and I think that that speaks a lot to Dan Campbell because I mean, there 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 was talks about that. We wanted Arthur Smith. We wanted to schedule a second interview with Ar- Arthur Smith, and then he ended up going to Atlanta. Okay. If Arthur Smith would have loved Detroit so much, he would have definitely considered coming here before Atlanta, and he didn't. So he wanted to be in Atlanta, and I think that's because their situation is much more concrete than ours because we, so, we have so many directions we can go, and first of them was with Stafford. Now that we've made that decision, we now can decide now where we need to go from there. If we need to draft a quarterback, need to trade, send all the money in the world that we have in stashed in secret underground bunkers or whatever it is to go get Deshaun Watson, hey, like that's an option on the table. Like there Atlanta was much more concrete. Dan Campbell said he wanted his name as Matt Campbell because Detroit was looking at Matt Campbell from Iowa State. And Michigan also was. Interesting how that worked out. But he put his name as Matt Campbell and because he wants to be here so bad. Now, I don't know if that was necessarily true or whatever, but he said that story, and I was just like, yeah, that's kind of funny that he did that. But he wants to be here. He was here during he was here during the dark days. He was here when all the chips were down. We were knocked down. The city was getting tarnished. He was, he was here throughout all of that, and he wants to rebuild it and make this city great again. He wants to make this football team great again, and I appreciate somebody like that. So I'm I'm excited to see what Dan Campbell can do. The one thing that was a little interesting though with that, the whole comments about running like want to run through a brick wall, biting kneecaps off, like the hardcore just football talk. It seems like at times, like a lot of people well, it was like, well, why are why are we needing to go out and get a guy that's a motivator when these players in the NFL theoretically are here to play football and they should be motivated enough to do so? But when you're th- when you're with a team like Detroit. Like you're going to need that extra motivation, and it's hard. To, it's hard to like because I can understand why some people say that. Like, why necessarily do you need a motivator when these guys should be motivated coming out of college, and they should be able to do it on their own? But sometimes in the dog days of training camp, like it's just a, it's just a uphill battle because I mean, you're you're out there grinding two, three practices a day. You're you're just you're at the facility twenty four seven. Like there's times where frankly. They're, they're just burnt out at sometimes. And you need the guys that are looking up at the big picture and they're saying, hey, I know this is tough, but I'm here with you. I've been through this. I've went through one of the worst seasons in NFL history. And that's what I'm excited about, saying we can change this. And that's what I think Dan Campbell can bring to the table is because extra motivation is needed, I think, in this point. Yeah. Um, Especially in Detroit. Yeah, because... He, I feel like he's going to really turn the table and kind of get everyone's focus on getting kind of a ring and kind of more focusing on the team aspect rather than themselves. Because, I mean, we don't really know too much about the inner workings of like the Lions uh, kind of organization too, and like kind of like how players are kind of reacting and uh, like what the really mentality is of the place. Because I feel like it was kind of broken a little bit when Matt Patricia was taken over. I feel like Matt Patricia was trying to make it like the Patriots, whereas like you're here to do your job. I'm not here to be your friend. Like he was kind of taking what Bill Belichick kind of thinks about when he's when he's putting that philosophy into his team, and I mean now we'll see what happens. But I think it's definitely gonna. I feel like the mentality is gonna change. I think the morale is gonna change, and I think he's gonna do a great job of really making it so that it's a team aspect and it's back to being what can we do that's best for the Detroit Lions rather than what can we do to help me get a contract and help me get money and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it'll it'll definitely be different. I think a lot a lot of it's in a, it's going to be an adjustment because like normally we've been the team that's tried to hire the best X's and O's guy, and it's like Schwartz is a great defensive guy, Caldwell, he's a pretty good offensive guy, and then Patricia was supposed to be the defensive guru. Now he might still be the defensive guru, but he didn't know how to run our organization. Whether or not he's going back to New England, I don't care about Matt Patricia anymore. Yeah. He can go back to the Patriots. I don't care. So. Who's going to be our our next coordinators? Our defensive coordinator is going to be Aaron Glenn. I believe I don't know if he's actually been officially announced yet, but he, I think he's signed. But he was the cornerbacks coach with the Saints. So bringing him along, Dan Campbell, who was the of an assistant head coach and a, the the tight ends coach, really was his primary with the Saints, brings along Aaron Glenn. I'm actually pretty excited about this hire because I think a lot of people wanted Aaron Glenn to move up just from a cornerback's coach because he knows how to do well with the defense. 
And, I mean, that secondary, they've been great. I mean, you can say what you want about C.J. Gardner-Johnson, how much he talks, how cocky he is or whatever. He still, he still gets the job done. And then you add in guys like Marshawn Lattimore. That, that secondary is great, and they've been great for a long time. And Aaron Glenn's been a, a big reason that why. And I, he's, he's a guy that knows how to make secondaries great, which, frankly, we haven't been great at in years past. So I'm really excited. I think, that that's a, I think that's a good hire. I mean, obviously, there's other directions we could have gone. Um, offensive coordinator, a little bit more interesting. We hired Anthony Lynn. Now, yes, we know about the game management stuff. Yes, we know that he's done some he did some dumb things last year, which pretty much frankly led him to his firing because he's he's a great guy to have here, here's the thing about Anthony Lynn. He's a great guy to be as a head coaching guy. There was just some times where he just didn't understand football fully enough. And I mean, that's taken for like there was some game decisions where it was like uh, do we go for it? Do we punt? Um, oh, well, we got this much time left. This many timeout, and he really didn't have a clear. It didn't seem like he had a full grasp on the things on the outside where he made some bad decisions. But uh, he was he was a great, great. He was a great guy that really helped that offense and helped Justin Herbert and helped develop that scheme. So he he can be he can be great, and I I really like the fact that. They're giving him a second chance. I mean, yeah, I do have my speculations. Is he gonna, is he gonna make the game decisions? The when you should use your timeouts, what situations you're in, probably not. And that's why I feel a little bit more secure about it than yeah. necessarily him being a head coach again. Yeah, I think we, I think we got a pretty solid setup. I think the the chips are starting to fall and the cards are starting to fall in our in our hands pretty well. And I'm I'm excited because I don't know because the the. Detroit fans have always said, like, I'm excited for this. Anytime we get a new hire, anytime we get a new player or anything, and it always happens the same thing where we always just just basically just end up eating our own words, and it's just like when something goes wrong, those clips of everybody saying, like, this is this is the change that we needed, and it's going to be something where we can't really – where it's just not going to go the way we think. But nonetheless, I am looking forward to this. Nonetheless, I am excited, but – We'll see what happens. Hopefully I don't eat my own words and we don't have to play a video clip back of me thinking that this is going to be the change that we need to really push us over the edge and get us into a into a wild card or a, or a playoff contending team. Yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be definitely a change. I think this is a little bit more interesting because like this is a full-fledged change. Like we've changed OCDC HC GM, who I forgot to mention, Brad Holmes. I absolutely love Brad Holmes. And, I I mean, he doesn't have necessarily the GM experience, but what the guy does in player development and scouting that I've looked into is phenomenal. He knows how to – he's a he's a natural-born leader by what I've been told and what I've seen, what I've read into. He's a natural-born leader that knows how to how the, the scouting and the drafting process works. And, like, some of the guys that he's had full trust into, he knows how to find talent and how to develop them. Because, I, frankly, that Rams team, they've not gone out and bought players. They've developed players from the ground up. Like, the most, one of the most underrated draft picks in the last decade, he made. He drafted this undersized guy at defensive tackle named Aaron Donald at 14. When the Lions, by the way, drafted Eric Dropsalot Ebron for crying out loud at 10. <laughs> Boy, that was a bad choice. Anyway, Brad Holmes is an eye for talent, and I think that's something that uh, we haven't been so great at over the last couple of years. Yeah, we have some bright spots, but frankly, we need to get better at that sort of stuff because if if you're not going to spend money, for crying out loud, on premier talent, then at least try to develop and do do it without having to spend all the money. And Brad Holmes is a guy that can do that. So I'm excited for what he brings. But it'll it'll definitely be interesting because I think that this is going to be a lot differently. I mean, we've already moved on from Darren Bevel. Um, I don't know necessarily if he moved out first or we moved him out. Um, well, he's going to Jacksonville with Urban Meyer to be his OC. So, I mean, we're, we're happy what Bevel did because, I mean, frankly, some of the stuff wasn't in his control for them. For losing games because our offense was great but our defense just stunk yeah so but uh, this full-fledged change should be good i think we already 
looking at guys like Ray Agnew coming in, and John Dorsey actually might be signing with us as an as an uh, executive figure of some sort in the little lower ranks. Like we're bringing in a lot of football knowledge guys, and a lot of uh, we're we're like this is a full fledged like we're gonna go out and get all these new guys. We're not necessarily just going to go with from within and promote. We're going to go out and get these guys. We're going to go build this. I think that's what's more what's more exciting is it's not like, oh, yeah, we're going to hire a new OCDC. We're going to fix the defensive pieces, but yeah. everything else we're going to keep the same. It's a complete overhaul. This is an overhaul, and I think this is something that might have been needed a while ago, but we just weren't willing to do yet because, obviously, like, why would you do a rebuild overhaul without without with Matthew Stafford there? Like, now that we've moved on from him, it's like, okay, we got the green light to do the overhaul. And yeah. it'll be interesting to see who we package with Matthew Stafford, because I know, Joe, you've got some ideas who you want to see Matt Stafford go for. What are some of your spots? I mean, there's a I mean, there's a couple. I feel like, I mean, one that really comes to mind is probably Indianapolis right now. They need a court. Yeah. They need just a solid quarterback and, pro, and just to really push them, because they are, are a playoff already contending team, and I think Matt Stafford could be the – be the one to really push them over to be a Super Bowl contender because although Philip Rivers probably he has a good chance of becoming a Hall of Famer and he is one of the better quarterbacks in the league right now or at when he played he's retired at the moment obviously but when he played I don't think he had what it took to really be the guy that would make them a Super Bowl contending team again because he's not like a Peyton Manning at all when he brought them there and I think Matt Stafford is is one like a lot of people say he is top five in the league, top three or something like that, and he has the talent to really push them over. So that's probably the one that I really think right now could be the one to benefit them. But I can't really think of too many others. I can't I've, probably just because they're coming as up as a blank for what teams could really mm-hmm. benefit at, at the short term because I don't think people are going to be looking long term with Matthew Stafford, especially since he probably only has max like five six years left. Yeah, I, don't know if I he mean can... he's been beaten. Like he's in that Drew Brees type of where he's he's now in the stages where he's just getting beat mm-hmm. up all the time and it's it's hard for him. Um, I, there was something. The Colts is a really logical answer because I mean the that organization is kind of similar to Detroit. They've been in more of that rebuilding stage for a little while, and they've kind of figured it out. And they've they've got some great coaches in there. And Indy makes one of the most sense to me. And Here's the thing that makes it really interesting. They've already been inquiring about um, Kenny Galladay. And as it's really hard for me because like, I want to see Kenny Galladay in a Lions uniform for a long time. I want him to bag him up, give him the money, and help have him stay here. But if they're willing to offer some huge package and even defensive pieces of theirs to get a guy, to get Stafford and Galladay for multiple first-round picks, second picks, and then some other defensive pieces. Like I'd be interested because obviously it's an organizational move. You're not gonna you're not gonna just say, "Oh no, we're not gonna trade Galladay." You're gonna be seeing what they're gonna put out there because it might help you. So would <laughs> that just sounds really crazy to me? What are your thoughts? I don't know. It's it's because we want we want him to stay, but we understand like if there's a huge offer, like. He might have to take it at this point. Because is Galladay going to want to be around for the rebuild? That's the big question. Because if he's not going to want to be here, I don't know. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to, you don't want to you need, premier you need, talent. You need players sitting. that want to be here and understand like what their role is in the rebuild. And if he doesn't want to stay, then I feel like it'll be in best interest of the organization to be like we need people who want to be here and who want to rebuild and want to see this organization succeed. So. It would suck if he leaves because he is kind of a big piece in our offense at the moment. But, I mean, if he doesn't decide to stay, so be it. We'll just have to – I mean, we're already in an overhaul, so it's just going to have to be another piece that we're going to have to find and figure out. Mm-hmm. I mean, add it to the list because what's one more? Um, I'd rather let Marvin Jones go. Yeah. But I, I think. I think that's the more – If but, like I said, if he – if if Galladay wants to leave, then I don't know what we're going to be able to do. Because if, if he doesn't want to stay here, then I feel like that's going to just be more detrimental to the team, especially during our rebuild. Yeah. some I think some other teams that Stafford would want, I think, will be eyeing. Um, Washington is one of them. Because, I mean, they've really just turned the carousel, pick one, and put them in that week. It's kind of been that kind of a season for the football team. It's still weird to say the football team. But, um, I mean, Martin Mayhew, who's now the new GM for Redskins, used to be our GM. And who did he draft? Number one, 2009, Matthew Stafford. 
So he, he likes Matthew Stafford, so he might be a guy that's willing to go out and get it. And, hey, I mean, if draft picks, pieces defensively, I'd be listening for sure. So And there's there's obviously some other ones that are pretty notable. Um, somebody said the, the Giants. I was just like, because they apparently, the Giants wanted Galladay. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we could take Stafford, too. Like, kind of like an indie package deal. I don't want to give anything to the Giants because it seems like they've just kind of wasted what we have gave them. So, and Yeah, like I feel they, like they really wouldn't be able to do they too need, much. They need with... other needs outside of receiver, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Shepard and Slayton and Tate aren't obviously aren't great, but... You need other. You need some other. You need to fix that offensive line first. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Denver is another one. See if they want a different. Like Drew Locke's not the answer. If they're willing to pay up for for Matt, whatever package they would want. Um, there, oh, man. There was one other one that was like that struck out to me. That was pretty obvious, and I'm literally blanking on it right now. And that's funny because I've looked these over like a hundred times, and I just literally can't remember. Um, my dad threw out the Bears idea, and I was not happy about that. Cause I don't want to see him go to the. I don't want to have to play him twice here. It's just gonna make my memories yeah, I hurt. Don't, and I don't think he'd even want it. Like, I don't think he'd want to go to the Bears, especially just because. I think he realizes what that would do to Lions fans, and I don't think he wants to do that to us, um, unless he doesn't really have a choice. And I don't if like the or if like the Lions organization like puts him there or like agrees with a trade or something like that. Because I don't even know what we trade for him from the Bears. Because I don't even think. Like, I'm not taking Mitch Trubisky, no chance. Like, I'm not, I don't really know anybody that would really be a value or meet the value that Matthew Stafford holds. Yeah, I, I would agree. Oh, my 49ers. Yeah, that's that's the one I want to see. I want to see him go to San Fran. I want to see him with Kyle Shanahan and what they can do on the ground and in the air with the weapons they have and the defense. I think that could really revitalize them. Yeah, he, like Stafford, like that's the thing though. Stafford gets banged up all the time, but he still plays. Garoppolo gets banged up and he doesn't play. And that's just hard. It's hard for the 49ers to go from C.J. Beathard to, insert name here, for their backup quarterbacks because is only playing 10 games out of the year. Maybe. Like this year, I think he only played six. So that could be a really interesting move. Um, Patriots. I don't, it, makes, I, it makes sense. But I don't want I don't him to know. go back to Matt Patricia again because yeah. I feel like there's got to be some bad blood there. Yeah, because I, because th- I mean, wasn't he the one who said like we just like players just don't like don't get along with Matt Patricia at all? Darius Slay said that, um, in the early stages, and then he ended up getting sh- shipped to Philly. So yeah, so we don't. I mean, and I think Quandre Diggs also said I something. Would and then like he got to see, out I too. would like to see Matt Stafford in a Belichick offense That'd and be, kind of in a Belichick yeah, with Patriots. Mc, with McDaniels, yeah, for because sure. Because for what we've seen with Tom Brady, and I mean, Matthew Stafford, although he doesn't have the same accolades as Tom Brady, I feel like he's in that caliber of of skill. I mean, I don't know if we could call... I mean, if Matthew Stafford... If Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford switch places, I feel like there would be the same results for both. And I feel like Matthew... Because you can make that argument. Matthew Stafford has the same skill set, if not a better skill set, than Tom Brady. Because he can make... Because Tom Brady, I don't think, can make the throws where you know okay, he's got to lean yeah. back and do a sidearm, or he has can have the different arm shots that he can he's throw. He's got at. the physical attributes and skills more than Tom, but with a little bit less game knowledge and understanding than yeah. Tom. I can see, I can see but what like, you're saying. But that. you know, what I'm saying like if he, if Matthew Stafford, his whole career was put under a Belichick offense and had Belichick as his head coach for twenty some years. Uh, you can make the argument that Matt, St- Matt Stafford would have five rings by now. Yeah, I think that is. I think that could be an interesting argument. We'll have to bring that up on our full debate show that we're gonna do one of these days when we get our we get our mind to it. Yeah, when we when we get around, we'll do it later. Let, <laughs> let us know on our Instagram and Twitter at the MBSP if we should do that. Let us know, and we might make it happen. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's next. You never know. But that's going to be the show for today, guys. Thank you always for listening on whatever platform you are, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Breaker, whatever. We appreciate it. Yeah, we got like nine platforms that we're on. Nine platforms. Like, that's a lot of platforms. That's a lot of platforms. Like, that's one more than eight platforms. Four more than five. Really? If you think about it. Oh, I never Could even be seven more than two. Never a thought. Yeah. We should probably end the show. Yeah, probably. All right. Good show, Joe. And we will see you guys next time. Take care, everybody.